Welcome to Innovate at Open, the podcast that explores open source through the lenses of distributed collaboration, collective invention, and technology creation. I'm your host, Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Rob Hirschfeld, the co-founder and CEO of RACN, our just before the holidays discussion. And our focus today is going to be on managing complexity. And the reason this is an interesting question for me is we seem to be getting to this stage where open source and other vendors, on the one hand, are giving you this the ability to get under the hood and play with code and to run it wherever you want to. And this dichotomy seems to be saying up where people are saying, well, that's like really hard to do, though. So maybe we should just put everything on a software as a service or on Amazon Web Services, which I think is actually down at the moment, but purports to uh, solve that complexity problem. So welcome, Rob. I'm excited to be here. This complexity tsunami that people are feeling is definitely top of mind to me because it just it feels like we're reaching a point where the complexity of the systems we've built is sort of unsustainable even to the point where I've been describing it as a Jevons paradox of complexity and and that it's a big deal I, I do think it's worth saying up front complexity is not bad in itself like we have a tendency to be like I, ever, you know simplify simplify get rid of all the complexity it's, it's not a com- the complexity is bad or, or avoidable. It's actually a management. Like you started right, right at the start. It's a managing complexity problem, not a, not a eliminating complexity problem. To a, sort of a couple of your points to managing complexity, you know, I mentioned, you know, just use a software as a service. Mm-hmm. Using a software as a service may be just fine. Um, you know, <laughs> at, at Red Hat, we don't run our own email servers any longer. We used to. Um, you know, we, we use software as a service for you know, email and documents, and which always, of course, causes this little tension. But shouldn't we be doing everything in open source? But, the, you know, yeah. the reality is that with modern businesses, you have to decide where to, uh, you know, kind of where to focus your energy. Um, mm-hmm. Way back when, uh, Nick Carr at Harvard Business Review wrote an article um, that basically does IT matter. And, Nick, I think particularly the way we view things today, perhaps deliberately overstated his case, but he was actually absolutely right that you have to pick and choose which IT you want to focus on and where you all differentiate. I I think that that's critical, and we've been talking a lot you know, in the last two years about supply chains, um, and it's it's very much a supply chain question. But I mean, I, going to Red Hat and open source, right? Red Hat distributes the operating system as a, as a thing. And there's a lot of complexity, you know, between the code and your use of it that, you know, Red Hat's taking care of for you. Um, and, and that's useful stuff to sort of take out of your, your workflow and your process uh, very much. The, one of the challenges that I've had with the SASification piece here, and I think We've seen it with the, with outages lately is that 
you know, there is a huge degree of trust in how the SaaS is running that business for you and their operational capability and, and how and what what they're doing behind the scenes. And, you know, the Amazon outage, the, the, the really big one early in December exposed that a lot of the SaaSes that depended on Amazon had vulnerability, you know, had had outages because Amazon was out. And so you you don't just have the SaaS and delegate to the SaaS. There's actually, and, and I've been asking a question of how much you need to pierce that veil of, all right, do you care about where the SaaS is running and how the SaaS is operating and how the SaaS is protecting what you're doing? Because, you know, you might have exposure that you you happily are, are ignoring based on, you know, employing a SaaS uh, that could come back to bite you or you could be operationally responsible for it anyway. And of course, if you're a customer of that SaaS, you don't care that the SaaS is saying, but, but it's not our fault. It's Amazon's <laughs> fault. You know, that's not a very satisfactory answer for a customer. And it, it could be if you've acknowledged the risk, right? And, you know, people were talking about some of these outages as, as business snow days where everybody's down and you can't do anything. Um, and some businesses have the luxury for that, but most, you know, not very many want their email systems to be down or their, their internal communication systems to be down. Those are, you know, business critical systems or their order, order entry, order taking or delivery systems. And those outages take a lot to recover from. I, I think that, and, and if, if somebody's listening to this with a careful ear, they're like, but if I was doing it myself, it could go down just as easily. And that's entirely true. And this is sort of the, the complexity balance thing. It's, it's not like this that your email system is you're going to do a better job managing it than a, a service provider is doing. They, they arguably have better teams and they focus on doing it and it's, 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 their, it's the main thing they do. Um, but they actually do it in a much more complex way than you might. And so, you know, you might be able to run a service or a, a system in the back end for yourself with the, in a much simpler way uh, than you know, Amazon would do it for you. <laughs> and, and so, you know, they might have the capability to absorb that difference, but we're, we're starting to see that they might not. I want to touch on an other element of supply chain that is very, very much, uh, in my ballpark in yeah. open source. And that is the software supply chain. Uh, one of the things that we've been seeing recently, and in fact, there was an executive order earlier this year that related to this, among other things, was that software out there, open source or non-open source, 90% of it came from somewhere else. And, you know, that, that somewhere else might include, um, somebody that sort of does this as a hobby in their spare time, uh, in their basement. And there was yeah. a lot, there was a lot of, uh, publicity around this with the Heartbleed, um, exploit a few yeah. years ago. And I think some of those low hanging fruits have been cleared off. But there, but at the same time, the we're, we're we're talking about log for log for J is dominating true, the news cycle right true. now, and that's maintained by a couple of of volunteers because we thought it was static, you know, stable code. So no, it, it this is this is it is a challenge no matter which way you go. Um, and I think there's two places that that you and I both want to talk about with this. Part of it is 
you know, that open source aspect and how the community deals with it. And also the assumption of we're going to keep finding vulnerabilities and patches and errors in everything and the user's responsibility to, you know, be able to patch and update mm. uh, from that perspective, which is also part of open source. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually to the point of the user responsibility, uh, we, we ran a, a survey fairly recently. It's something we do every year, our global tech outlook survey. And one of the questions that we asked there, a lot of the questions are around funding priorities. And as you could expect, security was, well, at least ostensibly a funding priority. I'm sometimes a little bit, uh, uncertain about how to take things that, oh yes, we know this should be a funding priority, whether or not it actually is. But anyway, we asked about what the security funding priorities were kind of underneath that. And the, the top of the, the top were, Things you'd expect, classic security stuff like network security, so presumably firewalls and things like that. The very bottom, though, we were just talking about supply chains. The very bottom was essentially the software supply chain. And this is, you know, after Joe Biden filed an executive order and everything. So I don't know quite how to take that. One, I think one interpretation, one interpretation is, the message hasn't really gotten out there yet. Um, I don't know to what degree I believe that. The other way to take it is that, yeah, this is important, but Red Hat's taking care of that for us. Even though we're using all of this open source code in our own software. And then I think the third, the third area may be that, yes, this is a priority, but we don't think this is very expensive to fix. I, I think that the security budget um, is very high for magic wands and the, the availability of magic wands is very limited. Hmm. <laughs> and, and what, what you're describing, you know, sort of at the bottom of the stack of the software supply chain is part of what I see the complexity problem being. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the, the ways, so, so we have to step back and say, how does, how do companies cope with complexity? Right? And, and the number one way they cope with complexity is to ignore it. <laughs> so it's, it's the free way to it. It's like, I'm going to send it to a SAS and pretend like they're going to be up all the time, or I'm going to use this library and pretend that it's, it's perfect and flawless and everything's, everything's great. And, and, you know, I, I agree with you, Red Hat with the distro, effectively is doing some of that work for you and, and you're you're buying the okay somebody has eyes on this for me so that you know that assumption is maybe marginally more tested than than I want to believe I I think when we start looking at these these systems we need to think through okay software is composed you know uh, highly of other components and those other components have supply chains and those components have components and it, it used to be before we got really in, into the containers, right? We used to do, you know, RPM install whatever's when we, or, you know, pip up whatever. It was, you know, we had to resolve all those dependency graphs dynamically at the moment. And it was incredibly hard to do. And software was very, very fragile from that perspective. And, and a lot of people avoided patching, changing, or update because they, they couldn't afford to resolve that, that dependency graph and they just ignored it. Um, Docker let us make that immutable and put it all into a container and sort of do a build time resolution for it, which I think is amazing. 
but it's still it still means that you have to be thinking through at least at some point when you're pulling all those things in. And and I don't think people think of containers as as solving the complexity problem of the of the application dependency grab. I do. But it's one of those ways that you can very consciously come in and say, all right, we're going to manage this this very complex thing in the process. And you know it's a complex thing if it's fragile, right? So part of managing complexity is being able to say, where, where do I have hidden complexity lurking for what I do? And if you have something that's really fragile and hard to repeat or requires a lot of, of interventions to fix, you've identified a part of your process that that is complex or you know or maybe you know dangerously complex from that perspective yeah and some you know and some things have inherently have a degree of complexity i mean i i think again we can't in most cases you know, there's probably some magic sass things out there for some very small problems <laughs> but but by and large you're still not eliminating complexity mm-hmm. there and certainly one of the, I think the other related problem that we're seeing, we're seeing right now too, and again from our global tech outlook survey, sort of big problem was training people, skills. That there seems to be a real shortage of, uh, oh, it's, it's hard yeah. to hire people, right? And, and you're CEO of a company. I'm sure you, you, you know, you're, you're exposed to this all the time. We are, and, and our and our customers are right. One of one of our number one challenges with any uh, go to market in, in with our customers is actually the life cycle of the employees at the customer site. Because we have customers where they have a reorg and a management change, or they lose a, the lead on a, on a solution, and we have to reset and retrain, and it it sets schedules back. You know, just commercially, let alone hiring our own people and, and getting them up to speed and trained. But, and there's there's a huge but with this. I I don't think companies are particularly watching for the idea of how the work that their 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 people do are adding to the complexity and increasing the risk of what they do. Because a lot of times, people inherently sort of absorb complexity risk by doing the work. And we see this in ops, so right? We're RackN is, is an operations. We, we do DevOps and automation work. And so our job is to, to create standard, repeatable op, you know, automation infrastructure as code. Um, but the tools that are out there today, people use them. They use them in ways that they think are right and work for them. They, the, they don't have a lot of repeatable practice that that each team follows or can be replicated across the organization. And so you get into a, the training, this, and th- this is where I'm trying to go with the skills training piece. Skills training is partially how do I use the tools and the infrastructure and the automation. Part of it is how do I figure out what the person before me did or the person next to me is doing so that we can connect those pieces together. Um, and we spend a lot of time and add a lot of complexity when we don't take time to understand you know, if, if we can, in, you know, this is a development practice. How, how do I get code that, and, that I don't have to maintain, that I don't have to understand? And that actually is another way to reduce complexity with this. Does that make sense? It's, it's sort of like if I was, I'm, I, I think about infrastructure as code, which is this, a new, sort of this new way of thinking about DevOps and automation. And today, a lot of people write their own automation. And it's very hard to reuse or share or or. You know, take advantage of, of standard practice. 
But we do in development. In development, we do a really good job with that. And so you can say, all right, this library or this component is standard and I'm going to bring it in. And I'm not going to modify it. I don't need to. I'm just going to use it the way it's written. And that approach actually reduces the complexity of the systems that we're talking about quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, we're seeing right now, I'm working on something called uh, Operate First, which, and our Mm -hmm. idea here is basically form a community around essentially an open source approach to uh, large-scale operations. And it's still pretty early on, but... um, but yeah, I mean, operations has kind of been divorced from open source and frankly, DevOps notwithstanding from a lot of the development, you know, effort, effort and practices that have gone there. I strongly agree with you. And it's, it's one of those things because, you know, open source communities are amazing at, at building infrastructure or building code, building practice. It's, it's been a struggle to me to f- try and figure out how to help people collaborate about operations in the open more. Um, what I used to think of, you know, in, back in my OpenStack days as, you know, glass house operations. Um, and, and it's, you know, you can't expose everything, obviously, because there's secrets and credentials and, and things like that. But in building this next generation of automation, this infrastructure pipelines generation, it, we we need to figure out how do we have more collaboration? How do we have people share stuff that works? How do people build on each other's work? And, and, and this is the hard and, recognize that operations have a lot of complexity in them and, and there's difference. And so you can't turn around and say, hey, you're going to operate this exactly like I do and it's going to be simpler for you because you're just following me, right? And we saw this like early Kubernetes days. There were some people who wrote an Amazon installer called, it was COPS is the one I'm thinking of specifically, K-O-P-S. And literally, it, if you set it up exactly as is, and, and it, it would install Kubernetes on Amazon very reliably because Amazon was consistent <laughs> And, and from there, it sort of fell apart when people were like, well, wait, wait a second. I, my Amazon's different than your Amazon. And I want to do these other clouds are totally different than that. They don't have anything that works like that. And so what, what we see is that collaborating around an operational strategy gets really hard as soon as the details of the operational system hit to the point where people can't collaborate on, on the op stuff at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely challenging. I mean, that's one of the things we're still trying to, you know, sort of work out as part of this. Um, and we're, mm-hmm. speaking of OpenStack, we're, uh, working closely with Open In for Labs on, uh, on this project. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging. I think it's something that we need to, get to though i mean we there are tools out there i mean you you mentioned terraform i think when we were yeah. uh, discussing this for example uh, and terra this is this is for us trying to you know I, I like where you're going because open source to me is about collaboration right fundamentally we're we're trying to work together so that we're not repeating repeating work that we're able to to build things together and when i look at at something like terraform which is very focused on you know provisioning against a YAML file, right? The providers are reusable, but the, the Terraform plans aren't. Um, and so, and, and that's, 
And there's two levels of collaboration here. There's collaboration in the industry, which we want to have. Um, and there's also just collaboration inside of your organization and your teams. And that's one of the things I always appreciated with open source and the, the open source revolution, you know, where, where we really started focusing on Git and code reviews and pull requests and, and that process, which has really become standardized in industry, which is amazing. Um, people forget how much that's an open source uh, creation, right? The need to do all these code reviews and merges. And, you know, we need to figure out how to apply that into mm-hmm. the infrastructure as code conversations. And we get there. I've seen a lot of people get excited about GitOps. To me, GitOps is not, that's, that's not really the same thing. It's not as infrastructure as code as, you know, building a CICD pipeline for your automation or being able to have teams reuse parts of that automation stack or, or even better delegate parts of that delegation or that that stack so that the ops team can can focus on something and the dev team can focus on something just like a CI/CD pipeline would put those pieces together. And that's right that that sharing of concerns is really I think part of what we're talking about in in the open source collaboration model. Yeah, I mean one of the you know very powerful things I don't think people really thought about open source in this way at the beginning but it's really come to be to a large degree about the open source development model, uh, yeah. creating, in many cases, enterprise software using an open source development model. But we don't really have an open source operations model with that same kind of virtuous circle of projects, products, profits feeding back into the original <laughs> yeah. community. That That's stolen from Jim Zemlin on uh, uh-huh. From uh, Lakes Foundation, but I think you want to create that same sort of a virtuous cycle around operations. And in fact, it was, was knowable. I think it was at the Lakes Foundation member summit. There was a very elaborate version of that uh, virtuous cycle for open source development. And operations was not mentioned once in that entire yeah. slide. I, this is this to me is where it's why we focus on on trying to create that virtuous cycle around operations. And it, it really does come back to thinking through the complexity cycle. So when, when we think about how do you, you prime the pump and have, you know, a, you know, people even within an organization sharing operational components and let alone feeding it back into it, into a community and having them be able to take advantage of that. And I, I should be specific, right? Like uh, Ansible, has this huge library, the galaxy of all these playbooks, but it has cop, you know, in some cases, hundreds of copies of the same playbook <laughs> because the, the, the differences, this is where the complexity comes in. The differences between one person's thing and another person's thing are enough to break it. Yeah. Um, and that's that, and that complexity. And sometimes what I think is people, people don't want to invest in solving the complexity problem to make that work. So you have to be willing to say, it's simpler for me to ignore all that stuff and write my own custom playbook or Terraform template or something like that. But from us building this this oper- this virtuous cycle, it you're you're you've already broken the cycle as soon as you do that. And so you have to look at not eliminating the complexity, but managing it, right? Yeah. Defining for us, we spend a lot of time with definable parameters. So when we put something through an infrastructure pipeline, the the parameters are actually defined and immutable and part of the part of that input. 
because that creates a system that that move, lets things move forward and can be discovered. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is where you, you you sit back and you're like, okay, the fastest, most expedient thing for me in ops might be not managing the complexity that somebody else could pick up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's sort of, I won't say it's tradition, but the way things are often done as ops is you, you traditionally, you know, hack together a script that solved, you know, a particular problem and went on with the rest of your day rather than sitting down and generalizing and working with other people. And I'm sure there's exceptions to that at some of the large scale companies out there, but it definitely is sort of historically how ops has tended to happen. It's there, There's two things that we see driving this. One of them is um, not accepting that heterogeneity is part of, of life. Um, and so when you look at a, a script, you're like, okay, I could eliminate a whole bunch of code generally seen as a good thing by ignoring all these edge cases um, that, that somebody else injected in there, it, those things exist for a reason. Even if you don't care about, you know, the server, you know, the vendor or the cloud that you're dealing with, it, it's smart to try and figure out how that works so that you can, you can keep it in because that keeps your, the code, the code better from that perspective. And then there's another, there's another piece to it where as we, as we connect these pieces together, we actually need to be aware that they have to hand off and connect to things. And so the other the other mistake I've seen people make in a complexity management perspective is assuming their task is the only task, and and that's actually we I see this a lot when we look at end to end provisioning flows is that like configuration tasks are different than provisioning tasks, which are different than monitoring tasks, which are different than orchestration, and you have to understand that those are actually they're usually intermixed in building a system well, but they're different operational operational components. And you might have to make something that's less efficient or harder or, or has more edge cases in one one case to do a better job interacting with the next thing down. I'm, I'm thinking through how this sort of translates in, in open source more generally. And I, I see you want to, do you want to add something to that? No, no, I'm just, um, I think one of the things, you know, we've struggled with around, you know, operate first and similar type of of work is yeah. turning this into what we can concretely do going forward. And yeah. I'm sort of curious and maybe in closing out what some of your thoughts are, what were some, some, maybe some next steps for the industry, for operations communities over the next year or so. So we've, we've gotten really excited about this generalized idea of an infrastructure pipeline because it's letting us talk about infrastructure as code at um, you know, beyond the Git and YAML discussion and, and actually talk about how do we connect together all of these operations. And so when we, when we think about collaboration here, what we're really looking at is getting people out of the um, individual step of that pipeline conversation and start thinking about how things connect together in the pipeline. And, and so and this is a, it's, it's really a nice analogy back to the CICD revolution from five or six years ago, where you know people would be like, "Oh, CICD pipelines—they're too hard for me to build. It's it's all this stuff, and I, I'm trying to deploy. You know, I, I can't. I'm going to deploy a hundred times a day, like they do in the. You know. And at the end of the day, you don't have to look at it that way at first, 
right? The goal is to be doing daily deployments and every commit goes to production and things like that. But the first thing you actually just need to do is start connecting two adjacent pieces together in a, in a repeatable way. Um, and, and that means a lot of times two teams collaborating together, or it means you being able to abstract out the difference between different cloud types or hardware types or operating system types. But that's, that's what I hope people start thinking about is how do we connect together a couple of links in this infrastructure pipeline chain? And the reason why I'm so focused on that is because if you can connect those links together, you've actually managed the complexity of the system. Uh, in some cases, what you've done is you've made it so that the tools that you're using focus on doing what they do well. Um, one of the things in ops that I, that I find really trips people up is when they use a tool outside of its scope. <laughs> and and then that, that you know, uh, using, using a tool for something that it's not designed for often causes a lot of complexity. I mean, this is right. You can do it. Sometimes that adds a lot of complexity because the tool wasn't designed for that and you're, you're, you're going to run it into a fragile state or you're going to have to do weird things to it. And so this lets you say, all right, this tool works really well at this stage. I hand off to the next stage. I hand off to the next stage. And it's more complex maybe to build a pipeline that does that. But individual components of your pipe of the pipeline are actually then simpler and the connections between things now that they're exposed have also reduced the complexity sort of the complexity budget in your system by by working on those interconnects the the way i think about that is a coupling perspective and and thinking about coupling well great i think that's probably a good point to end on anything you'd like to add no, th this was this was fantastic. It's exactly the the topic that I've been hoping to have around uh, you know managing complexity and thinking about it from from a community perspective. So I I appreciate you you opening up opening up the mic so that we could talk about it. Uh, it's a really important topic. Well, thanks, Rob. Enjoy the holidays. Thanks, Gordon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You could also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, dot blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat.